Good evening, and thank you very much for your presence. My privilege to be with you in Midland Park, and I look forward also to the weekend conference in Livingston. We're going to read, first of all, in the book of Hebrews. I'm going to read with you a, a little bit more than I would normally read, and what I would like to do is a, a character study tonight of Jacob. Just recently in our home assembly at North Street Gospel Hall in Halifax, we've been doing character studies in Sunday ministry meetings, and I was recently enjoying Jacob, and I would like to share some things with you. And I'm going to be up front with you. I am not ignorant of Jacob's imperfections, but uh, I am going to emphasize his strengths tonight, because I think that Jacob's imperfections are greatly overplayed and that Jacob's strengths are very underestimated and underappreciated. Certainly the principle of reaping what you sow is clear in Jacob's life. He reaps what his parents sowed and what Jacob reaps both he and his children sow. So you can see those consequences but Jacob is still a mighty man of God and I would like you to notice that more than anything else. Hebrews chapter 11 beginning at verse number 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. Really, the idea is dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city. This is a... This is following the concept of him dwelling in tents. Verse 10, he looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Now down to verse 21, the end of Jacob's life. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. Let's come now to a reference in the book of the Psalms. There is an interesting reference in the book of Hosea as well. We may speak of it later. We won't take time to read of it, but we'll read now in Psalm 46. Just to pick up a phrase that is quite common in the book of the Psalms. Psalm 46, verse number 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge or our fortress. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now our main readings will be in the book of Genesis, as you might have guessed. I have tried to select some passages that I think give us a sense of his character, his his whole life fascinates me really, but we're going to try and narrow the study to get a grasp of his character. We'll begin in Genesis 25. Verse 24. Genesis 25, 24. And when her days, this is the days of Rebekah, when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. 
And Jacob was a plain man. It's a bit of an interesting description, isn't it? He was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, he made stew, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom, which means red. And Jacob said, Sell me this day, or sell me now thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me now, this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink, and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Chapter 28. There was obviously some animosity in the family that stemmed not just from that event, but then later when uh, Isaac wants to bless his sons. And Jacob gets the blessing instead of Esau. So now there is some harm done to the relationship. And Jacob is now fleeing Esau to go to the land of his mother's land. Jacob, sorry, Genesis 28 verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. This is the first time that God has spoken directly to Jacob. And he's giving him the same covenant promise that he gave to Abraham and Isaac. Verse 14. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee, and in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee. Great words to hear from the Lord. I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful, how awesome is this place. This is none other but the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar. And poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, house of God. But the name of that city was called Lazet the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, like he said he would, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Chapter 29, verse 18. He has traveled now to the land of his mother and he discovers Rachel. Chapter 29, verse 18. And Jacob loved Rachel and said to Rachel's father, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love that he had for her. Chapter 32, which I think is the most momentous 
occasion in Jacob's life. He's about to meet Esau. He's frightened. He prays and then he prepares his camps to meet Esau. Verse 22. Chapter 32, verse 22. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the four Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with them. And Jacob said, let me, excuse me, the man said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he, Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose up upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Our last reading is chapter 48. Thank you for bearing with us in the reading. Jacob has now traveled to Egypt to be reconnected with Joseph. Chapter 48, verse number 15. And he blessed Joseph and said... God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me, your margin might say, the God which fed me as a shepherd all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. And let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. First, maybe just before we get into his character, I want to just think about the greatness and the importance of this man, Jacob. Just speaking in very broad terms, first of all, notice the amount of material that is given to the story of Jacob. We started in chapter 25. So chapter 25 all the way through to chapter 50 of Genesis is the life of Jacob. That's a massive amount of biblical material devoted to one character. Abraham is covered in chapters 12 to 25. Isaac is given very little detail about his life. But when it comes to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, there are approximately 26 chapters devoted to his story. Now I know that several of those chapters pertain to the life of Joseph, but I would suggest to you that even the record of Joseph is still the story of Jacob. It's his perspective. Joseph is a, is a wonderful picture of Christ, but when you come to the end of their lives, notice how little detail is given at the end of Joseph's life, and how much detail is given at the end of Jacob's life. It is the story of Jacob that occupies the entire second half of the book of Genesis. That's a lot of material. Also, just in your regular reading at home, I would encourage you to notice the references to the phrase, the God of Jacob. It's a very common phrase in Scripture. The God of Jacob. We read it in the Psalms. It tells me that God 
is happy to associate his name with this man Jacob. He readily has him addressed throughout the scriptures, the God of Jacob. That title is far more common than the God of Abraham, even though Abraham had a bit of a head start. He's on the pages of scripture first. But you read far more the God of Jacob. And we don't read of the God of Joseph or the God of Judah. It stops with Jacob. So that in Exodus chapter 3, when God calls Moses... He says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. Not of Judah, not of Joseph. It stops with Jacob. Now I pointed out the two references in Psalm 46, but it is very frequent in the book of Psalms, this title, God of Jacob. And I don't think it is just a casual religious title that the Jewish people would have uttered. No, it is that Jacob knew God. He trusted in God, he lived for God, he worshipped God and had real experience with God so that God is happy to be forever associated with this man Jacob. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now if you doubt, if you doubt the legitimacy of Jacob's spiritual depth, when in the life of Jacob does God ever condemn him? When in the life of Jacob does God have a word of rebuke for this man? Never. Every time that God speaks to Jacob, he speaks with blessing and with promise. And so when God summarizes Jacob in Peniel in Genesis chapter 32, this is how God looks at Jacob. He says, you have striven or you have power with God and with man and you have prevailed. Jacob was a great man of God. Well, if I was to now summarize this character, the first thing I would like to point out, it's not maybe the most significant thing of him, but nonetheless, Scripture portrays Jacob as a man of Genuine affection, emotion, and love. Affection and emotion. In fact, see if you could find in your own reading, see if you could find the four distinct occasions that it explicitly references Jacob weeping. It's implied again in chapter 35 when there are three deaths in his family that he experiences, recorded in that chapter. But there are four explicit references to Jacob weeping. Now I'm not uh, advocating an emotionalism or an obsession with uh, outward tears. But nonetheless, and I also recognize there there are some cultural differences between people of the Middle East and our own culture. I respect that. But nonetheless, you, you can't help but notice many of the great men in Scripture were emotional men. In this sense. On more than one occasion, we read of the Lord Jesus weeping. Paul shed many tears. Ezra and Nehemiah and David, they all wept. And you can see it also in the life of Jacob. They are tears that stemmed from deep feeling. Whether it was confession or a burden or tears of love, they wept. And scripture records four explicit references of Jacob weeping. Now I know, for instance, when you come to 1 Corinthians 13, the great chapter on love, it shows us very clearly that love is is far more than just emotion. I know that. Nonetheless, 
a love that never expressed any emotion would be a bit of a strange love. Scripture specifies the love that Jacob had. It specifies that he loved Joseph and Benjamin, his sons. It's the first time that love is recorded in the scripture is a father's love for his son. Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac. Now with this, Jacob loving Joseph and Benjamin, it shows he isn't perfect because this is an example of that favoritism that caused problems in his family. Jacob's parents had been guilty of it, and now Jacob replicates the same error. We are, of course, responsible to love all of our children equally. There may be more of a natural uh, bent towards one more than another, but love is not a helpless, uncontrollable emotion. Love is the steady devotion of the will. It's within our control and our responsibility. Scripture specifies Jacob's special love for Joseph and Benjamin. Don't excuse the favoritism, but, but why would he love those two? Scripture says it's because they were the sons with Rachel in his old age. See, it just to me, it conveys a tenderness to Jacob. I think that our perception of Jacob has been falsely colored by what a lot of other people have historically said about him. I don't know what your preconception was about Jacob, but people have given Jacob a very bad rap. They have made him out to be very cruel and very heartless and deceptive. On the whole, I think that's exactly opposite to how the scriptures present him. He was a man of tenderness. Notice his love for Rachel, his wife. Just think of the theme of love in the scripture up to this point. Genesis 22, the father's love for the son. Genesis 24, it's that son's love for his bride, Isaac for Rebekah. But after that, human selfishness and sin gets a hold of love and they kind of corrupt it and twist it. So then you've got Isaac loving Esau and Rebekah loving Jacob. Then it says Isaac loved his savory meat. That's a bit of a downer. I mean, that's like saying you love your wife and you love your son and then you love pizza. It just doesn't, it doesn't work the same way. But then Jacob restores a bit of the nobility to love. And it says Jacob loved Rachel. In fact, he loved her so much that he's willing to serve her. We read in chapter 29 his service for the wife that he loved. He served Laban seven years. And it seems from the record of scripture that he proposed that deal. You wonder why he didn't propose a shorter time. But nonetheless, he said, I will serve you seven years for your daughter Rachel. Laban readily agrees. And this is what it says that's so striking. That seven years seem like just a few days because of the love that he had for her. That's quite a man. With quite a love. Then, of course, after Laban's cruel trick, he's with her for another seven years. Sometimes people highlight, well, he didn't seem to have a proper attitude towards Leah. Well, honestly, I think we should cut the guy a little slack. I mean, put yourself in Jacob's shoes. That was not supposed to be part of the deal. Nonetheless, he has her, but his real love was towards Rachel. Serves her seven years. Serves for her seven years and another seven. It's a great model, I think, of of Ephesians 5 when it says that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. It would be crystal clear to Rachel that Jacob loved her. Wouldn't it? It would be crystal clear to Rachel that Jacob loved her. Not only his love for family, but I see in Jacob a love for the Lord. 
And I see it as he sets up memorial pillars unto the Lord time and time again. I see it most clearly at the end of his life as he leans upon his staff and he worships God and he blesses Joseph's sons and he talks about what God has done in his life. We'll come back to that scene, but it is clear to me, hopefully to you also by the end of our study, that Jacob loved the Lord. So the first point of Jacob's character is that he was a man of genuine affection and emotion and love. Secondly, Jacob was a man of great tenacity and perseverance, persistence and determination. They are very admirable traits, especially if they're submitted to God and and channeled for God. Jacob was obviously determined to get the birthright because Jacob sees an opportunity to get what is valuable. And he doesn't just say, sell me your birthright. No, he says, sell me your birthright now. And when Esau starts to agree with him, Jacob's not taking any chances. He says, swear to me now that you will sell it to me. He leaves nothing to chance. He's determined to get the birthright. He's determined. He's also very tenacious in his business life. It's not sinful to be good at business, of course, is it? It's not wrong to be good at your employment. Jacob was good at his employment. He used his mind to make wise business decisions in his work with Laban. And we read in chapter 31 that even though he was mistreated, he worked hard, as a Christian should. He did not cheat Laban. On the contrary, Laban cheated Jacob. And Jacob is very upfront and he says, My honesty will answer for me later. He wasn't afraid to say that. My honesty will answer for me later. He said, What was torn by the beast, I took that as a personal loss. And Jacob was a blessing to Laban's business. And he gave all the glory to God. You can try that in your office then, right? When... When they come up to you and your manager and supervisor says, Hey, you've had a really good month with us. Good job. Hey, well, the Lord gave me help. All right, good. Wonderful. Listen to Jacob's words about his business success. He says to Laban, The Lord blessed you wherever I turned. He says, God has been with me. God has given the sheep to me. Then he prays to God as he looks at how much he has when he returns to meet Esau. He remembers what he had when he left, which is nothing. And he said, I'm not worthy of the least of your mercies. I went out with the staff and now I have become two camps. And he says, it's just the mercy of God. So Jacob shows determination and persistence. But then when he prospers, he gives the glory to God. That's a very commendable trait. It's a great balance. The Apostle Paul does the same thing. Uh, think of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He was obviously determined and hardworking, yet, yet humble and grateful to God. So he says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And in chapter 15 he says, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. So he's determined in his business life. He was determined to get the birthright. He was determined and persistent in winning Rachel. We've already spoken of that. I want you to think particularly of chapter 32. You may turn there if you wish. And his persistence and his determination with God. And to me, I think this is Jacob's most... The most important moment in Jacob's life is the scene at Peniel in chapter 32. 
He wrestles with the man who he learns to be an angel. It seems that it is the angel of the Lord. It is God himself. Now it was literal wrestling, but it gave way to literal praying. Hosea makes that clear. It was literal wrestling and it gave way to literal praying. So that is why the wrestling also seems to be an illustration or a picture of prayer. And the man puts Jacob's hip out of joint just with a touch of his hand, not only to end the wrestling match, but to humble Jacob and to leave a mark on Jacob. You see, Jacob was known for setting up pillars. When there were important things in Jacob's life, he would stop and he would set up a pillar as a memorial to that event. But in Genesis 32, Jacob doesn't need to set up a memorial pillar because he has the memorial in his own body. And he's walking with a limp after this encounter. It reminds me of Paul in Galatians 6. I bear in my body the bond marks of the Lord Jesus. There's no pillar in Peniel because the testimony is in his own body. And now Jacob is unable to wrestle. But he submits that remarkable prayer. It's a prayer of humility. But it's also a prayer of determination. It's a prayer with weeping, Hosea 12 says. I will not let you go except you bless me. It's quite a way to speak to the Lord. How does God respond to such a bold, determined prayer? It says he blessed him. That's what he did. Like William Carey, the missionary to India, I believe, who said, Expect great things of God and ask great things of God. And God blessed him and he said, You are now Israel. You have striven. You have power with God and with man. And you have prevailed. Jacob was determined to know God's blessing. You see, Jacob desired what is good. He did on the whole. He wanted God's blessing. And spiritual progress, this is what I find in my own life anyway. That spiritual progress and the power of God in my life is often an issue of my desire. Let me ask you something. Do you want to make spiritual progress? Will you be allowed to nod your head there? Yes, yes you do. Okay, good. The next question would be this. How much do you want to make spiritual progress? Do you think you want it as much as Jacob did? You see, I catch myself sometimes. I, I want to be up here spiritually. The problem is I'm way down here. That's one of the problems. But I want to be up here spiritually but do I want to take the steps necessary to be up here spiritually, close to God? Do I want it enough to make sacrifices for it? Am I willing to be broken before God and just a vessel in his hand? Jacob really wanted what was valuable to God. So he wanted the birthright. And he wanted the blessing from Isaac. 
And he wants more blessing from God. And of those three three scenes, this is by far the most beautiful because it's at a time when he really needs God. He's about to meet Esau. He's afraid. And now he's humbled and he's broken before God. And now God changes his name. What's the significance of that, the change in name? Well, one, it's a testimony to Jacob's character. You can look at the name Israel and what it means. He has striven with God. He has power with God. But it is also telling us that now God is changing Jacob. God says to him, what is your name? But a silly question, isn't it? Kind of obvious to the both of us. Jacob says, Jacob. Because you remember the last time he was asked that question, he lied in the presence of Isaac. But not only is it to confront Jacob with his past deception, it is also meant to be a confession of the weakness of the natural man. I am Jacob. It means supplanter. It means you take by the heel. But no man is always able to supplant others. You can't always get by Jacob. You can't always solve every problem in your own strength. Boy, I find myself trying that at times. Whether, whether it is in your evangelistic outreach or in teaching a Sunday school class or in counseling another believer or in your regular job. And we, we get caught doing things just in our own, the, the strength of the flesh without dependence upon God. But now to emphasize Jacob's weakness, he puts his hip out of joint and he's saying, yes, you are Jacob, but the natural Jacob is too independent. Determination and tenacity, they are good, but it's not enough, Jacob. The name Israel signifies then God's power in this man's life. And the change of name signifies that God has humbled and changed Jacob. And that speaks to me because I just think, wouldn't it be really great to be really changed by God? And to have had one or more than one encounter with God where we come to God and we're made to face our own sin and selfishness and weakness and we just allow God to humble us and then use us. And to know that as a result of that experience that we have been changed by God. You see, Jacob's desire and his determination are very commendable. But it's not enough. And what's really good to see with Jacob is that now he's learning it can't be done in his own strength. He's about to meet Esau. And he made his plans. And he's separating the the family a little bit. And and he has submitted his prayer. In fact, the, the prayer that's recorded earlier in chapter 32 is very insightful. Jacob says, he admits to God, he says, I'm afraid. It's good to be honest with God. I mean, I know God knows whether we're afraid or not, but it is helpful to us if we're honest with the Lord when we pray and we can tell Him that we're afraid. And then He calls on God to keep His word. He's holding God to His word. That's very instructive in prayer. He says, God, you told me, you said return to your country and I will do you good. You're the one that said, I will do good and make your offspring as the sand. You're the one that said it, Lord. 
Now he, he sends the family across the brook and he's there alone and now God is teaching him, yes, I said it and Jacob, I am the one that's going to make it happen. You're not going to make it happen. I will make it happen. Jacob is still clever and strong and determined. But now he's clever and strong and determined and broken and dependent. Sometimes maybe a younger believer reads that and they say, well, do I, do I need to go through an experience just like that to get God's blessing? Like, am I supposed to kind of fight with God to get it out of him? Do I need to suffer somehow to convince God that I'm worthy of his blessing? Well, no, that's, that's a bit backwards in our thinking. God does not take pleasure in thwarting us. That would be totally inconsistent with what we otherwise know of God's character. If we had to go through an experience like this, it would do us no harm. The point is this, though. The event was necessary for Jacob to teach him dependence. Sometimes we act like God's will is a hindrance to us. And that, uh, you know, the will of God is the bad thing, and we're resisting and resisting, and God doesn't want to give us good things. Of course God wants to bless us. And he knows what is good for us. His ways are good for us. But he wants us to be honest and humble and broken. Jacob was a man who wanted God's blessing. So he was a man of affection. He was a man of determination, especially with God. Thirdly, Jacob was a man that was marked by a truly spiritual nature. He was marked by a truly spiritual nature. We're going to look now at chapter 25. I apologize, this is not just quite an order that we read or an order of the events in his life. If the question was asked, well, how do we know that Jacob was a truly spiritual man? I think the answer is given at the very beginning of his record in chapter 25. First of all, notice notice the scriptural summary of his character in verse 27. Jacob was a plain man. Or another translation says he was a quiet man. And another one says he was a peaceful man. But none of those words, whether quiet or peaceful or plain, none of, them, none of them sound overly impressive or attractive. But I again think that this is partly where translators have been a bit biased because of preconceptions they might have had about Jacob. This is the first time this word is used, but it's also the word that is used to describe Job. And when it's applied to Job, it is given its more common translation. Perfect. Blameless. Upright. That's how Jacob is described. Some say the name Jacob means cheater. It does not mean cheater. Supplanter. Takes by the heel. But even that, it's hard to condemn him for. He was only about one minute old, so we can't lay too much against him for that. But God is summarizing his character in a noble and in a good way. Not just a plain man, but a good man, a spiritual man. And then it emphasizes the next part of the description. It says that he dwelt in tents. Why does that matter? Because it's hinting at the fact that Jacob lived by the principle of faith. It's hinting at that forgotten aspect of 21st century Christian testimony that we are pilgrims and strangers. It's connected to Hebrews 11. Abraham lived in tents. I'm not saying you have to live in a tent to be spiritual. Thank the Lord. I'm not a camper, you know. 
my wife has uh, she's she really wants us to go camping and for a while I said to her I said yes I'm happy to go camping in fact we can rough it as much as you want to rough it we can go as as rugged as you want to rugged as, as long as I can dial zero for the front desk I'll go camping anywhere but I'm trying to adapt on that but you don't have to live in a tent to live by faith but it was an indicator of that in scripture so Abraham remember he lived in tents and it was an indicator that he looked for the city above the heavenly kingdom but it said Abraham lived in tents with Isaac and Jacob Jacob was with Abraham in fact if you do the math I think that Jacob was 15 when Abraham died so he had 15 years to learn from the example and the teaching of Abraham, the great example of faith. And Jacob was a righteous man who dwelt in tents. That's how God summarizes him. But the other thing then is to notice how sharp the contrast is between Jacob and Esau. A deliberate contrast. Hebrews 12 describes Esau as godless and immoral. Genesis also mentions uh, Esau had taken wives from the land of Canaan. They were a grief to his parents. Then what we have in chapter 25, he's called a skillful hunter. Who else is a hunter in the Bible? Nimrod, the man who started the city of Babel. In the language of Genesis 25, it says Esau despised his birthright. Esau was a sensual man without a spiritual bone in his body and chapter 25 is emphasizing this contrast between sensual carnal Esau and spiritual Jacob and what, what, what Esau despised Jacob cherished the birthright and so this event is put at the very beginning of their lives to illustrate to us what kind of person Jacob is and it's not highlighting his cruelty or his deception no it isn't because scripture gives the commentary and scripture doesn't criticize Jacob it says Esau despised his birthright it's highlighting Jacob's spiritual desires the birthright speaks of spiritual privilege and responsibility. With the birthright came a double portion of the inheritance. So Jacob wants the blessing. He values the inheritance that God gave to his fathers. That's good. The birthright also brought with it the leadership of the tribe. So Jacob is willing to step into responsibility. Birthright also involved priestly functioning in the family. So he's, he's ready to, to minister before God. That's what, that's what this represents. He was marked by a spiritual nature. Contrasted with Esau. He was a good man. I want to notice next Jacob's appreciation of the presence of the Lord. This is really our last major point anyway. His appreciation of the presence of the Lord. Chapter 28 was the scene in Bethel. And we said that that was Jacob's first encounter of directly hearing the Lord speak to him. And he has this dream and he's given the promise of the covenant and he wakes up and he says, this is the house of God. What makes him say it's the house of God? It's the presence of God. That's what the phrase house of God is meant to convey, where God dwells, where his presence is. So we come to 1 Timothy 3 and he says the local church is the uh, house of God. Uh, what does he say? The church, 
that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. What does Jacob do at Bethel? He sets up a pillar. Jacob was a man of pillars. Abraham built altars. Isaac dug wells. And Jacob set up pillars. And he pours oil over the pillar. Consecrating the pillar. When you come to chapter 35, he comes back. God calls Jacob back to Bethel. And the covenant promise is uh, reconfirmed. And Jacob sets up another pillar at Bethel. Do you know what he does with that one? He pours oil over it again. And in chapter 35, he also pours a drink offering over it. And the drink offering speaks of consecration and it speaks of joy. And by chapter 35, I think it's this, that Jacob has proved God and he has learned the joy in living for God. Your happiest moments, if you are a Christian, your happiest moments are going to come when you know that you're serving the Lord. And I think our greatest pleasure when we come to the end of our life and when we appear before the Lord will just be to know that we have lived our all for Him. Like Paul says, He was poured out as a drink offering. Now I mentioned this is the first time that Jacob heard God speak. And he probably had uh, Abraham and Isaac tell him of some occasions that they had heard God speak and that was good. Nice to hear it from our fathers and our grandfathers, our mothers and our grandmothers about times that God has spoken to them and worked in their life. But this was now personal. It's more meaningful now. Jacob is getting it direct from the Lord himself. He is hearing God speak to him personally. That's what we want. And notice, what does God say to Jacob? He says in 28 and verse 14, I am with you. Great words. Because Jacob's fleeing from Esau, and he has nothing on him really, and he's about to go to a foreign country, a distant land, and the Lord promises, Jacob, I'm with you, and I'm going to bring you back here safely. It's great to notice the phrase, I am with you. God being with Jacob in his life. I think there's four separate occasions. He says it in Bethel. He says it in Haran. He says it back in, in Bethel again. And then he says it in Beersheba. When Jacob is about to go down to Egypt. That dark dominion where Joseph is. And he's in Beersheba. And God says to him, Jacob, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. Because I am with you. And I will bring you back up out of there again. And then when Jacob gets to Egypt, you know what he says to Joseph? He says, I'm dying, but God will be with you. He experienced it, and now he passes it along to his son. Remember I said we, we so often read that title, the God of Jacob. It is a statement of God's might and greatness. The God of Jacob. Because God's might is obvious, is very obvious in the life of Jacob. Now we read it in Psalm 46. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, our refuge, our refuge. Said that two times. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Psalm 46 is sometimes called Luther's song. When Martin Luther was facing much persecution, he would sometimes say to his friend, he'd say, Let's go and sing the 46th Psalm and they can do whatever they want to us. And he wrote a hymn from the 46th Psalm. 
that we sing in English as a mighty fortress is our God. The God of Jacob is a mighty fortress. And maybe there's that repeated mention of God being with Jacob. Maybe that's part of the reason that Jacob is the first one in Scripture to appreciate the Lord with this unique title. I'm thinking now we'll end now in chapter 48. And in chapter 48, Jacob is the first person in the Bible to address the Lord as his shepherd. In our King James, it says, The God which fed me, the English Standard Version says, The God who has been my shepherd all my life long. That's a beautiful testimony. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long. So it's David that pens the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But it wasn't David or Noah or Enoch or Abraham or Isaac that was the first one to call God my shepherd. It was Jacob, this man. Now Jacob really needed the Lord as his shepherd. Because Jacob went through a lot of, a lot of messed up circumstances, a lot of trials. There was his relationship with his brother Esau. That was difficult. Thankfully restored. Then there was the time, well, all of his business relationships with Laban, really, they were a little bit difficult, but he prospered. There was also the time, well, chapter 35 records the death of his nurse, Deborah, then the death of his wife, Rachel, then it records the death of Isaac, all in the one chapter, it records them that way. Then what about, what about his difficult experiences with his children? Simeon and Levi rise up and they kill the men of Shechem in an act of revenge. And Jacob says, you've made me distinct to the people of the land. Then Jacob's son Reuben sleeps with Jacob's concubine. And Jacob hears of it, it says. Then Jacob's sons take their brother Joseph and they sell him into slavery. They say that he's dead. Jacob needed a shepherd. It seems to me that that event with Joseph was the the deepest of his trials, at least the way Jacob reacts. He was absolutely overwhelmed by it. But think about how God uses that trial. Him thinking Joseph is dead. His own sons selling another son into slavery. But that became the means of God providing for the family. That became the means of fulfilling a promise spoken years earlier to Abraham. It became the means of Israel becoming a great nation and being a a vehicle to display God's mighty redemptive power. So what seemed like his deepest trial proved to be the greatest blessing. In fact, you can see blessing from pretty well every trial in his life. And Jacob looks back on his life and he knows the Lord has been his shepherd. He says, all my life long, God has been my shepherd. It's a great testimony. And now Jacob arrives in the presence of Egypt and he blesses Pharaoh. Scripture says the lesser is always blessed by the greater. And while Jacob might have been a despised shepherd... He's God's chosen vessel. And he's one of God's people, so he's far greater than any earthly king. And now at the end of his life, he bows upon his staff in faith and he worships. And he blesses his sons with prophecy about their future. And I think Jacob displaying that faith 
And then as Hebrews records it, he worships. I think that's a very appropriate conclusion to this man's life. He's a great man. I hope you appreciate Jacob. I hope you see him as a mighty man of God. Remember, God is happy to have his name associated with this man. So let us not just appreciate Jacob, but appreciate and worship the God of Jacob. Let us pray.